good afternoon, or good evening, and welcome to a special 50th episode of Inside the Writer's Studio, the podcast where we talk with writers about their lives, their craft, their business, and their latest work. I'm your host, Charlie Lovett, and our podcast is sponsored by Bookmarks. Bookmarks is a literary nonprofit whose programs include the largest annual book festival in the Carolinas. Come visit Bookmarks at our community gathering space and nonprofit independent bookstore in downtown Winston-Salem, North Carolina. My special guest today is the author of 35 internationally best-selling novels, from 1977's Coma to his latest novel, Genesis. Robin Cook is single-handedly responsible for creating the genre of the medical thriller, and his books have been turned into feature films, TV movies, and miniseries. We're thrilled to have Dr. Cook here on the show. Robin, welcome to Inside the Writer's Studio. Thank you. Nice to be here. Before we talk about your newest novel, Genesis, I'd love to go back and talk about your genesis as a novelist. I think you're the only person I've ever had on the show who wrote his first novel while serving on a nuclear submarine. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, it is true, and uh, it is rather exceptional. And the explanation is that I decided I was going to write a novel about medicine when I was in medical school, when I first started medical school. Because I realized very quickly that medicine was very different from the image that was being projected in movies and television shows and, and, and books as well. I could tell right away that it was, it was different and it was changing and changing rapidly. And that really disturbed me because I could see that business was, was coming into medicine. And I said, someday I'm going to write a book about the way medicine really is and uh, and show this and um but as a medical student i certainly had no time to write a book and the way the system is is that when you finish medical school instead of taking a breather you're thrown um from the frying pan into the fire so to speak and you're a resident and you're even more busy etc cetera, etc cetera. and it wasn't until i got drafted after my surgical residency that I suddenly found myself with free time. And um, particularly when I was in the submarine, because there's not a lot you can do. We were underwater for 75 days. And even if you stand to watch for eight hours, maybe you can sleep for eight hours. There's still another eight hours to go. And uh, that's when I wrote my first book. In, in 1977 came coma, which really not only transformed your career, but it, it often is credited with launching an entire new genre of, of book, the medical, what we call the medical thriller. Did you have a, any idea when you sat down to write coma that you were creating a whole new kind of book? I, I didn't think of it that way. I, I did make a very um, specific decision to write uh, a thriller, a mystery thriller in particular. Uh, as my second book, because my first book didn't do as well as I would have liked and thought it was going to do. And I realized I had to sort of accept the fact that that maybe something was wrong with it. And uh, so I reread my own book and and I realized that it wasn't really fun, compelling reading. It was interesting reading, but it wasn't really fun or compelling. It didn't Go to the next uh, the next chapter uh, um, like a real thriller would, and 
And I, I read a lot of books. The way I prepared to write my second book is I read a lot of bestsellers. And um, I realized that there was most of the bestsellers were really fun to read. And, and they caught your attention and kept your attention. And I thought, well, if I want to write things about medicine, I better write it in a similar fashion that really catches people's attention. And um, so that was the goal. Now, prior to Coma, you've said that the, the vision of the medical establishment that was sort of put forth by popular culture, I think you've even sort of said it's the Marcus Welby, MD, you know, portrayal of medicine, kind of, kind of puts the medical establishment on a pedestal. But Coma made it clear that there can be bad doctors and there can be bad hospitals. Um, now, 42 years later, I think we all probably take that for granted. But what, as patients, can we do about that? Well, we're limited. But if you recognize that fact, um, first of all, you're going to say to yourself, I don't want to go into a hospital unless I really have to. And you're also going to say to yourself, maybe... Every hospital isn't the same. Maybe some are better than others. Um, it's these decisions that I think that are important. Um, and we really, as patients, we really should be better consumers. The fact that we're not good consumers is one of the explanations of the fact that we have runaway inflation in, in healthcare. Um, we as patients have never asked these difficult questions uh, is this hospital a good hospital? Um, what is your infection rate? What is your readmission rate? These are questions that you might ask if you go out and buy an automobile. You want to know, does it break down? Uh, and uh, is it easy to fix? Uh, does it have to be in the shop all the time? Um, and that's really what I was trying to do. I was trying to make people understand that, that it became such a big business in this country and was becoming bigger and bigger. And that's still the case today. And uh, often the goals um, are not exactly uh, uh, similar. In other words, does the patient have the same goal as the hospital? And, uh, and it, it, to, if they realize that the goal of most hospitals is to make money. You write your novels um, not just to entertain, which they certainly do, but as you say on your website, you write to elucidate various medical, biotech, ethical, and public policy issues. Now, if somebody's never read a Robin Cook book, they might think that sounds sort of dry and uninteresting, but you certainly turn it into a page turner. How, how do you take you know, a, a biotech ethical issue, the sort of thing that's being discussed at a medical conference, and transform it into a page turner? Well, it's, 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 I, I utilize the power of fiction to do what nonfiction is supposed to do but doesn't do as well. Fiction, I think, is, it can be the most powerful medium for influence people's um, point of view. Let me give you a, an example just for fun because um, I know we're going to talk about Genesis, my new book, but let me give you an example in Genesis which – which really illustrates what we're talking about. Uh, one of the recurrent characters, his name is Jack Stapleton, and he's a medical examiner. He's a very interesting guy, and people like him because he, he is someone who is, tries to do a good job, tries to take care of people, and tries to be a good citizen and all those things. 
things. So you, you kind of align yourself with him. And, and, and in Genesis, I bring up an issue where their child, their boy, their um, boy, I think he's in the fourth grade in Genesis or third grade or fourth grade. Anyway, um, the school um, calls up the family and says, you know, your boy is acting up. Uh, he's, he, he doesn't sit still. He's having fights on the playground. Um, and you have to do something. The trouble today is, is that this kind of complaint really sort of um, uh, so over the top where just about every boy, which is probably in our Y <laughs> chromosome, um, is, it doesn't, doesn't want to sit still and has trouble sitting still and maybe a little bit competitive. And the knee-jerk reaction today is for the school to call up and say, you know, we want little Johnny to, uh, to act just like little Nancy. And, um, and the way to do it is to have him evaluated and have him declared attention deficit disorder and have him been given some medication. Now, this is an issue that I think is really, really important. And I think it is being overdone today, my personal opinion as a physician. And so I have this great opportunity to use my character likes is his opinion is going to carry a lot of weight. And it's not as if he's arguing with the reader. He is just talking about his issue, the way he feels about this specific issue. And when the reader reads the book and has fun with the book, will somehow subliminally take this attitude in and give it a lot of thought, even not the kind of thought is, is this right? Is it wrong? But it, it sort of sits there in the back of their mind so that if they then come across an argument or a discussion about it, they have a point of view. That's a good example, I think. Let's talk about Genesis a little bit and the, and the genesis of Genesis. So you, you did mention that, um, that particular issue, but, that, but that's not the central issue of the novel. What is the, what's the big medical issue that you wanted to throw light on with this novel? I wanted to people to understand uh, more about the, the central issue of DNA and how powerful it's becoming. And um, in fact, it's going to, we all know it's going to change. It's changing medicine. It's going to change, continue to change medicine, make it better, make it more personal. Um, but it's, a lot of people think, oh, I can't understand that stuff. Well, I wanted to write a novel in which... I get people, just regular people who, who are not trained in biology, uh, but realize that they can actually understand issues about DNA um, and, uh, and understand it in, in very well. And, uh, and also take advantage of the fact that people have become very excited about genetic uh, genealogy. In other words, sending in a DNA sample and finding out... Uh, um, maybe their ethnicity background, or perhaps finding um, uh, relatives that they didn't know they had, et cetera. It's become very, very popular. And because it's become popular, it has a power that wasn't really thought about particularly, and that is in terms of forensics. And forensics meaning 
if somebody does something nasty, like kill someone, and leave some of their DNA, and the authorities get the DNA, um, can they find that person just with that DNA? And the answer is yes. And it happened with the Golden State Killer, um, the individual who terrorized California in the late 1900s, um, and, um, and then was recently found. And I thought that was so interesting that I thought, well, I'm going to show that people exactly how that works. And not only show how it works, but make it even more powerful than somebody just leaving their DNA and then following up on that, but show how this system is becoming so powerful, they can actually sort of help construct somebody's DNA and then find them, which is what happens in Genesis. So that's the that's the medical issue in, in Genesis, but tell us the, the, the setup of the story. What is the tell us a little bit about the precipitating incident that sends us into this uh, this world of DNA. Well it's it's um uh, it's actually the murder of a young woman who's pregnant and uh, murdered because she's pregnant and um, and then um, the woman is found to be pregnant very early pregnancy and um, and there are uh, is very upset about the fact that whoever created this child didn't find this woman who was dead, supposedly of a drug overdose. Um, and that starts the story in the sense that there is a, uh, a young uh, resident who, uh, a woman resident who had been kind of mistreated in her past and suddenly finds this episode that she can't let it go. She can't just say, well, you know, where's the father? What? Who is the father? And is the father important in this issue? And she has, the father has to be important because it bothers her that this person overdosed and wasn't found for three or four days. And uh, so she decides to take it upon herself to find this individual who is the father. And, uh, and she's introduced to this concept of perhaps genealogical DNA um, can can help, even though she didn't she didn't even think it could at first. Um, but it turns out that some very interesting statistical methods have been derived for people trying to find out people who either adopted or perhaps uh, created by donor sperm to find out their heredity uh, so that they might have some information about that as because it's becoming more and more important for people to know what their genealogical history is um, to anticipate perhaps some medical problems in the future. There's, I find there's sort of interesting ethics to all of this. I mean, I've, I've sent my DNA into an, on one of the ancestry sites and almost everybody I know has done that. But it, should we be concerned about privacy issues? What are what are the ethics of cataloging the DNA of an entire population? It, there is definitely uh, privacy issues. Um, however, I, I, for one, am not as worried as some other people might be about this. Um, just by going to the doctor, you're going to be given your DNA. Every time you give blood, they can get your DNA right away. 
Um, so uh, the fact that you are doing it, sending it off, I don't think is any different than just giving blood or whatever, or even sputum for uh, a culture for bacteria. You're still giving the DNA. The DNA is going to, is going to be outed, so to speak. Um, the the other interesting thing about the this um, public process, as you were talking about, is that there's no chain of custody. So uh, law enforcement really cannot use it um, because there's no way to know for sure it's your DNA, even though you sent it in. You could have sent. You could have said, "Oh, I'm going to take my dog and and uh, get some saliva and send that in. Let's see what happens." And uh, uh, and that could happen. So there's no way that it could stand up in court, in any or be used in court. Um, even with the Golden State Killer, when they thought that they had, they were suspected the individual. It wasn't any DNA that he gave. Um, to 23andMe or one of the other companies, they followed him around until he left the coffee cup. And uh, they got the coffee cup, and they got his DNA from the coffee cup. With, with some of your past books, you've said that you want readers not just to have a great summer read, or in this case, a great winter read, but that you also want them to consider writing to their representatives about issues that you bring up in the novels. Uh, in Genesis, what... If I were going to write to my representative after I've read Genesis, what sort of things might I be asking for? How does legislation play into all of this? Well, in relation to what you just already brought up, um, I think that Genesis is not one of my novels that is speaking specifically about a major um, medical issue that I, I'm asking the general public to help in terms of altering. You're right. That is why I started writing in the first place, because I thought it was possibly a way of first getting people to protect themselves, but also to become better consumers and and hopefully um, guide medicine uh, in this country sort of direction. Um, I, for one, have been for single payer plan uh, from day one. And um, well, that's not true. I, I actually... I actually didn't like the idea of health insurance at all. And um, I felt better just to have catastrophic health insurance and no health insurance because I like the very direct um, relationship between doctor and a patient. That's why I became a doctor. I wanted that kind of relationship with my patients um, that they really valued the interaction and were willing to pay for it and pay me, not pay some premium to some unknown company someplace. The sense was that it was a much, much more personal interaction. I think when I was young, um, my family doctor, who I admired, he had a very personal relationship. He knew the each each patient and what their lifestyle and capabilities economic capabilities were being charged the same amount to everyone. And uh, there were some opportunities where um, he exchanged his, his knowledge and, and whatnot for some function from the patient or the patient's husband or whatever. Um, 
But anyway, be that as it may, uh, insurance is, 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 is important at this point. Um, but I think that it has to be single payer. It has to be government because otherwise the system as it is today is really responsible for healthcare costs being so out of sight. It's, it's the fact that people don't recognize that they are actually buying something. And, um, so, uh, but anyway, to get back to you, I'm sorry, I got waylaid there, um, is that Genesis does not have one of those specific messages um, as some of my previous books have had that I want people to um, have an opinion about and uh, contact their, their representative to do something. I'm always fascinated by the way that writers choose to begin their novels. And you begin this novel with a scene, the kind of scene that appears in many, many novels. Uh, a scene of two people in bed together, but you treat it in a very different way from the way most novelists treat it. Can you talk a little bit about how you wrote the opening of this novel um, and why you chose to open it in that particular way? Well, it actually opens with a page and a half. I believe it's a page and a half uh, of an explanation of one of the most astounding things in the universe. And I open it in in a, in a, a cellular level uh, to let to get people to understand the absolutely mind-boggling fact that fertilization, human fertilization, and the creation of a, of a new human life and how it happens is so, and it happens so often. I mean, I remember looking it up and it's estimated to happen around 350,000 times a day uh, around the world. So people sort of just take it for granted. And the fact that the genesis of a new human being is so unlikely, it's so fantastic that I wanted to just write that, just, just to give people an appreciation of what happens every time a, a, an, an ovum and a sperm connect and it starts this process that just defies belief that it actually works. And uh, so that's how I, I've started a, lot, a number of my novels like that to give people an, a concept of, or a sense of some physiological process that happens and that is really worth thinking about just for a few moments. And then, of course, I start the novel itself with the two characters who are having a, going to have a, uh, a terrible interaction. Your, your, style, your writing style, I think, is very um, recognizable. It's, it's factual. It's straightforward. Do you, do you read a lot of medical literature, and do you feel like that that, that uh, plays into to your own style or influences your style? Well, I do read a lot of medical literature, and um, uh, but uh, I I I guess I I really feel like I react against medical literature because it's so dry and uh, and uninteresting for the most part. Um, one of my favorite journals, however, is the New England Journal of Medicine, and I must say that over the last ten years or so, they have really um, changed so that the first two or three or four articles 
now are are invariably extremely well written and interesting and fun to read. Um, I feel that the narrative style works in just about everything, and um, uh, it, because it makes it fun, it, 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 we can as, uh, uh, we can uh, associate to it. We, can, I mean, because we're humans and we all have our likes and dislikes and whatever, and uh, it's fun to take advantage of that. I think in any reading, and and it makes it more fun to read, and and reading that's more fun to read. And I think you retain more. Absolutely. I think, you know, to me, one of the one of the problems with academic writing in general is exactly what you said, that it's that it's so unreadable. And it's it's uh, sort of delightful to know that there is at least some medical writing out there that is readable, that makes you want to get to the end of the article. And as you say, retain the information that it's that it's trying to tell you. Exactly. Exactly. Well, the narrative. Uh, way of doing that, I think, is really is important. Is to is to if you're going to write, you can write an article about some terrible illness or whatever, but bring it home. Recognize what it does to an individual or to a family or something, or just one example. It really makes it so much more fun to read and easier to retain. And uh, so that's, I think, perhaps my writing is really a reaction against. Most of the um, medical reading that I've had to do. Are you still a practicing doctor at this point? Well, uh, yes and no. I don't have a private practice anymore. But I, strangely enough, I, I think people find this strange is that actually I've written thirty six international bestsellers. Um, I still think of myself. I'm I'm much more comfortable with thinking of myself as a doctor and I haven't really gotten to that point of thinking myself as a writer. And it might be because I guess when I was in college, I had kind of an image or um, a sense of what a writer was. I did not have the uh, experience of taking some really fun literature courses in college and reading a lot of the great, great literature. I've tried to, to rectify that to some degree uh, after the fact, but uh, I, I always feel like I missed out in college. I took all the wrong courses, and, um, uh, and I stayed with the chemistry, math, physics because I wanted to go to medical school and I needed to get good grades, and I was afraid to take... Um, those courses that are graded in a subjective fashion, because I felt that if I got a B or a C or something, that I wouldn't get into medical school. But I do. I still think of myself more as a, as as I still think of myself as a doctor, and um, and I and I somehow almost every day there is something that requires some of my doctor training. Let's um let's talk about characters for a minute because you have a lot of them, both major and minor characters, and they're all they're all individuals. They're not just cutouts. Um, how do you set about creating characters, and in particularly minor characters? Do you do you start with somebody you know? Do you start with a particular character trait in mind? What do you know about them ahead of time, and what do you discover along the way? I do a lot of 
planning before I start writing my books. Um, probably more planning than most people. Um, I think that's, uh, that says something to, to my uh, unease of feeling like I'm not really. Um, and I not only do I plan my story out very carefully, um, but I do kind of biographies of all my characters, most all of them, um, and really have a sense uh, of what they are and, and uh, extremely interested at some point in my training um, that uh, I, I even contemplated taking a psychiatry residency just because I thought that there was nothing more interesting than the human mind. Um, but luckily I realized that I couldn't, couldn't be a psychiatrist. I couldn't do that all day. <laughs> I'm, I'm much more oriented towards surgery and getting something done and whatever. Um, but I've been very interested in, in, uh, personality and personality disorders. Uh, I found them fascinating as a medical student. And um, so I try to use that, uh, that interest in my novels in that uh, I really, I, I try to make um, the characters such that they actually create the story. And Genesis is a good example because as I mentioned earlier, this young woman, uh, is she's she's given this this surprising finding of of a, a very small embryo in this young woman who supposedly was a drug overdose, and why would that bother her? Well, uh, to the extent that it does, and and the reason is is because of her past and uh, and. And her attitude, her attitude towards men uh, that was developed over many years, starting with her father. I knew all that before I started the book. And, um, and I think that's important. And I appreciate that when I read um, novels uh, uh, and, and it seems to me that the character is making the the story happen rather than a series of coincidences. I'm fascinated to hear you say that you write biographies of the characters because I do like, I think a lot when I'm writing my own characters about, okay, what happened to them before the novel started? And then how much of that needs to show up in the novel at some point? And then the third question being, where in the novel does that information show up? How, how do we decide what to hold back and when to to let the uh, reader in on some of this past history. That's the fun part. I, I think to me, the most fun part is having conversations with your characters when you feel like you can be in character with them. Because the fun of it is, is that things happen that you don't expect. And, you know, as you sit down to write for a whole day, and um, if you're just following a kind of cookie cutter menu sort of thing, which is a very good outline is in a certain sense. If, if you get to a, a place where the character is talking um, and they'll say things I hadn't really planned on, but you realize is so this is what someone like that would say. Um, I, in, in Genesis uh, with 
Aria, who is the young woman uh, resident, the pathology resident, uh, she she doesn't like the fact that she's being subjected to watching autopsies and whatever. She thinks it's a waste of time, and she so she says, "Ah, I'm 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 out of here," and she goes back to the other hospital where she's going to do what she thinks is much more important. Well, the person in charge, the doctor in charge of of the uh, autopsy um, or the program that she is supposedly spending the month there, tracks her down, finds her, and and confronts her that she's doing this. And I remember that as soon as he goes and, the, and he grabs her, or not, I don't remember whether he grabbed her or not, but anyway, confronts her. And, and at that point, I hadn't prepared for what Aria says to him. And I must, I, I can remember actually laughing at it. And uh, uh, because it's, it was in character with her, and it so stunned him <laughs> that um, it, it was one of those little, little things that happen when you're writing the book uh, that kind of tickles you and you think, well, this is going to be interesting. I wonder whether, whether a lot of people will respond to this little episode yeah yeah and as you said that's that's the fun of it you have now you have a couple yeah. of major characters in this book who are appearing have appeared in a series of books um and so there we've talked a lot about sort of your aria and some of these these characters who are here for the first time but how is it different to write a character that you've now been writing for several books and do you ever find that do you ever find yourself constricted by something that happened, you know, four books ago, and then you go, "Oh well, I can't go in this direction because of that"? <laughs> yeah, well, it is a little bit uh, confining in the sense that they have a past, and they have a past that you have to uh, remember. Because one of the things that I've discovered is that my readers uh, have have elephant memories. Um, that if I say something wrong. Um, that I will hear about it, and uh, and I'll say, oh, you know, they're right. I did say that, <laughs> and, you know, four books ago. And um, so I've tried to keep an ongoing um, biography of those recurrent characters that I add to after each book, and so that I remember, <laughs> so I don't make that mistake and and uh, irritate. Um, some some of my readers. When you're when you're writing a thriller, you have ups and downs. You have moments of building tension and moments of high drama, and then moments of, of sort of ordinary life. And you, in some of the opening chapters of this novel, we're going through the ordinary daily life of the characters. How do you decide about that pacing? How do you decide when it's time to dive into a dramatic moment and when it's time to sort of ease the brakes off? Well, I, I kind of use my own sort of sense of timing uh, of as if I were the reader and what's going to keep my interest. Um, that's, I guess, I, I use myself as a judge of would I still be interested in this? Um you know, you just never know. You, you take risks. And um, I remember before I read, no, actually it was after, I reread one of my own novels um, called Critical. And um, 
I reread it recently um, because that um, I'm going to have some CEOs in my newest novel that I'm plotting now. And there is a, quite a bit of interest or storyline about a, a, a chief executive officer of a hospital in that novel. So I went back and reread the novel. I did a lot of research before I wrote that novel on um, – I, I read a lot of books on um, uh, MBA uh, courses, et cetera, and uh, – and then when I reread the novel, I realized that I had actually put in a little bit too much. <laughs> and uh, I'm glad some of my fans didn't catch me on that and complain. Um, but it, you have to use yourself, I think, as a writer to really recognize, because I think we're more similar than we are different. And um, what keeps our interest? And as a writer, we, we have to be careful not to get to put too much um, detail or even more important is that we have to remember as a writer of a novel that we are trying to entertain our readers um, rather than impress them. We're not trying to impress our readers. In fact, if you try to impress your readers, I think you're going to get into a real problem. That's what you did for when you wrote papers, but uh, if you write write novels that where you're competing against YouTube and other areas of or methods of entertainment, which there's so many today, um, you really have to be careful to make sure you're trying to be entertaining uh, on a consistent basis. Otherwise, you're going to close the book and turn on the computer and click on YouTube and funny cat. I think that's, that's so key. What you said about, we need to entertain them, but not impress them. Like I, I'm always thinking, I'm sure you think your readers don't need to know everything that you know about medicine. My readers don't need to know everything that I know about, about old books or even everything that we know about our characters. And so it's, it's important to not sort of overburden them with that. Um, you, your fiction uh, is driven by important medical issues of the day. Uh, sometimes I ask people what they're working on next, but I'll couch this last question in a slightly different uh, way and say, what issues in the medical world do you see coming up that you haven't yet written novels about that you might want to address? Well, health insurance is becoming a real issue um, in this country. And... Uh, uh, I want to contrib contribute to that dialogue. Uh, I've dealt with, in the past. I've dealt a lot with um, uh, pharmaceutical companies who I have a very, very low uh, feeling for, um, and um, uh, health insurance uh, in a couple of my books, but not directly. So that's that's the the, the current issue. We like to end every episode of Inside the Writer's Studio with the same 10 questions. You should be able to answer each of them in just a few words, but hopefully they'll give our listeners a little something to think about and some insight into you and into your writing. So if you're ready, we will begin. What word, okay. what word do you love to work into your writing? Maybe danger. <laughs> what word do you hate to encounter in other people's writing? Um, existential. 
Where's your favorite place to write? In in my writing room. Where could you never write? In Starbucks. To what rule of grammar do you pay least attention? I actually make an attempt to be grammatically correct. I, I make a real attempt to, to do that. What was the first book you remember reading? Stuart Little. What are you reading now? American Sickness. What book would you like to have written? God's Graves and Scholars. What sort of book would you like to write but probably never will? An art book. And finally, what would you like to hear a reader tell you? I couldn't put it down. <laughs> this has been a special 50th episode of Inside the Writer's Studio. I'm your host, Charlie Lovett, and the podcast is sponsored by Bookmarks, a literary nonprofit that runs the largest annual book festival in the Carolinas and operates a community gathering place and nonprofit independent bookstore in downtown Winston-Salem, North Carolina. To find out more about Bookmarks and all its programs, visit www.bookmarksnc.org. My guest today has been international best-selling author Robin Cook, whose new novel, Genesis, is available on December 3rd, wherever books are sold. Robin, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Inside the Writer Studio posts new shows on the 1st and 15th of every month. On upcoming episodes, I'll be talking to established writers and some first-time novelists as well. Until then, thanks for listening. And may you read with wonder and write with passion.